All right, well, do me a favor. Track down a Bible if you can. And get with me to Colossians chapter 1. I say that every week. It's kind of a, a mantra around here. The reason why we do that is we really want for people to recognize that, that this is the power, this is the authority that God speaks to us through his word, by his spirit, and that is a transformative reality. So I can say certain things. I can have an opinion. I can try to develop a, a little talk that's compelling or engaging. But at the end of the day, this is the power horse right here. This is what God uses to build his people, the church. Um, so right now, we're, we're starting a brand new series. And uh, we're going to look at uh, several passages that help us understand some of the things that we consider important as a church. Uh, if you visited a, a different church before, you understand not all churches are the same, right? They can believe the same things. Um, they can have the same kinds of services and elements. But at the end of the day, churches are different from one another. There's a lot of reasons for that. One, one of the reasons is usually a church kind of becomes like its leader. So the gift mix and the passions and the experiences and all of that, usually a church begins to kind of mimic its leadership. Um, so we as a church, Central, what we want to do is we kind of want to hone in on who we are as a church. I've been a part of Central since 1992. And so I've been a part of it for a very, very long time. I've seen, you know, all of the different seasons of growth. And Central is a church uh, originally in Beloit, Wisconsin. Our main campus is in Beloit, Wisconsin. And then we launched a, a campus to the north, Janesville. We launched our campus, the McChesney Park location, to the south three years ago. Uh, but at the end of the day, we all kind of rally around this vision that, that uh, David Clark, our lead pastor, has been promoting for his 39 years of ministry. And uh, several years ago, he came up with several different core values. And so we've just kind of said, here's, here's what we're about. We've got these values and so each week, we'll take one of those values, and then we'll go to the scriptures to try to show you that that value is a good idea. Uh, they're values like Jesus is everything. Children are worth our best efforts. Uh, excellence um, is something that we want to be about. We're going to take each of these different phrases, and then we're going to go to the scriptures to try to show you um, why that phrase is so important. So, Jesus is everything. Now, I could have went to a whole lot of different places in the Bible, but Colossians felt right. Um, Colossians is a letter written by a pastor to a church that he helped plant, and uh, he's writing it from prison because he catches wind that they are beginning to kind of drift from their commitment to Christ, and there are false teachers who are trying to suggest that there are other things that they ought to be about as a church. There are other things that, they, that people ought to begin to engage with that would enhance their experience. And churches often face those pressures. That false teaching is very much alive and well today, that there are things that are promoted that, yes, Jesus is important, yes, you should trust in him, but let's get beyond that to the more exciting stuff, the stuff that we really care about. And so we're going to Colossians chapter 1 to see this awesome statement of who Jesus is and why he is sufficient for us and for our church. So we're starting in verse 15. I'm going to read it, and uh, then we'll pray and we'll get to work. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 
15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant." Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would help us, that you would help us to hear your voice loud and clear. We believe that Jesus is everything, and so we're grateful, God, that we can gather together this morning and we can lift high his name. We can remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done and why that is so important for each and every one of us. So, Lord, would you please use this time for your glory? Amen. All right, the letter to the Colossian church is a letter that's saying Jesus is supreme and he's sufficient. He is everything that you could ever need. And the reason why is because of who he is. And so here in verses 15 and following, we get this grand confession of the person of Jesus and what he accomplished. And we see that Christ has a relationship to creation, a relationship to the church, and a relationship to the Christian. And each of those help us to understand he is sufficient for us. So let's get to work. Christ and creation in verses 15 to 17. Christ has a special relationship to the world that he has made. He is the God who made all these different things. Look at verse 15. The Son, Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the one who shows us what God is like. He is the image of the invisible God. Um, I don't know if you do this, but when we're watching, when my wife and kids and I are watching a movie, if we recognize somebody, an actor, then we go to a website to try to find out where have we seen them before. And we begin to kind of look through, IMDB is the name of the website, and we look through, you know, trying to find this actor or actress and then make that connection. Oh, yeah. They played this role in another place. And so we're looking for an image that helps us to understand who that person is. Well, Jesus is the image of God. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, God is invisible, so he's intangible. He's something that you can't lay eyes on. The Bible consistently presents that that storyline, that reality about God. But Jesus himself comes onto the scene and he shows us who God is because he is God in the flesh. In fact, one of the disciples, one of the followers of Jesus was having a conversation really toward the end of the life and ministry of Christ, but he 
said to Jesus in John 14, show us the Father. He's looking at Jesus and he's saying, you, you talk a lot about the Father, show him to us. And, and, and then we'd know what you're, what you're saying and what you're all about. And Jesus kind of has this, this moment where he's kind of like, are you kidding me? Like, I've been with you this long? This is verses 8 and 9 of John 14. He says, even after I've been with you for such a long time, he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. If you've seen Jesus Christ, you have seen the Father because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, this is a very beautiful thing because if you want to know what God is like then, all you have to do is go to the scriptures, to the stories of the person and the work of Jesus, and you begin to see what this invisible God is like. He, he loves people. He cares for people. He's gentle with people. There's this reality that I find in the Gospels that's, that's inspiring. It's the fact that broken people are magnetized to him. Broken and sinful people, people who've been through life and back, find themselves at the feet of this teacher, Jesus Christ. They're magnetized to him, and they, they find him to be open and welcoming and loving and at the same time challenging of their, their, their lifestyle and all these different things because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And you find this very humane, very beautiful, very loving and gracious individual when you find Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. Look at verse 15. He's the firstborn over all creation. And what that means is not that, you know, like the Jehovah's, Jehovah Witnesses think that he was the first created one, that he was kind of the one that God created, but he was first, so we treat him a little different than the rest of creation, but he is created. No, no, no. This is saying the firstborn, which is saying the most prominent, the most important, the, the firstborn in status, in rank, the heir, the one who will receive all. He is first in status. So, for example, you hear um, God using this language in Exodus chapter 4, where he says to Moses, why don't you say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. The nation of Israel is my firstborn son, God is saying. Now, that doesn't mean that Israel was the very first nation ever. It's saying Israel has this privileged relationship. Israel is the chosen nation, the firstborn nation, the heir of God and that relationship. And so Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, which means he has this relationship to the world that, that reminds us he's the heir. It's his. It belongs to him. Now, if you have kids or if you have siblings, you understand this concept, don't you? Because once, you, once somebody starts playing with somebody else's stuff, what do the kids say? That is mine. Now, they might let that carry on. They might be willing to share. They might say, uh, yes, this is my stuff, and you can use it. But at the end, of the, the end of the day, they look at that, and they go, that's mine. That belongs to me. I own that. Yes, you can use it, but I want you to use it accordingly. This is mine. This is my possession. Now, the truth is, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation because he is the creator of it all. Look at verse 16, for in him all things were created. He made everything, therefore it all belongs to him. And he made absolutely everything, which is what verse 16 goes on to show us. 
Everything that we can possibly experience belongs to him because he made it. Things in heaven and on earth. So things that we can't see, things that we can't perceive, things that are in the heavenlies, Jesus made them. Things that are on earth, everything that you could ever encounter in this physical embodied state, it all belongs to him. He made it. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, everything is made by Jesus Christ. Now, this is good news for us because we're in the middle of an election season. And so when we think about the future of our nation or our world or our economy, we we might be tempted in this moment to think about thrones and powers and rulers and authorities and become very, very anxious and to wonder uh, about, about our future. And what I hear anymore is, is very catastrophic language. That Man, if this happens, I, I, don't, I don't know what, I just feel like everything's going to fall apart. If this person gets elected or this person gets elected, if we move in this direction as a nation, we have to remind ourselves as Christians, no, 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 friends. He made all of this, and therefore it belongs to him. We don't have to be so nervous or so worried that he is the ruler over the visible, the invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities. Now, obviously, there is spiritual darkness out there. There is brokenness out there. I've been having conversations lately, and this has become more and more prominent, but Christians will be saying things like, there are evil forces in our world. There are spiritual principalities and authorities and darkness and all this stuff. And we need to be a, a people who are praying about it and doing something about it. I've actually had conversations this week, not, not anyone in our campus, so don't feel like, oh, you're picking on me again. I'm not. This is somebody else from the Bloyd campus. I'm picking on them. <laughs> but they, when they talk, there's this tone of anxiety. This is spiritual warfare, and, and we, we're losing ground. And to that, I, want to, I just want to push back and say, no, 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 no. Jesus is Lord over all. All authorities, all rulers, all thrones. It belongs to him. Even the evil forces have to get a permission slip from him. Read Job chapter 1. Even the evil forces have to get permission to do anything. Dick Lucas, a commentator, puts it like this. For the loyal Christian, it is enough to know that these powers have neither treasures to give to nor terrors with which to frighten us for the one who lives under the sovereignty of Christ. Guys, Jesus is Lord over all of creation. And he is Lord, and we don't have to worry. And the reason why is because everything that we see was made through him. Look at verse 16. All things have been created through him. He is creator God. Not only is he creator God, but, but also he is the one for which creation exists. Look at the end of verse 16. All things have been created through him and for him, which helps us to understand what we're doing here today. We've, we've actually asked and answered the biggest questions in life. Let me, let me just show them to you. These are questions that humans tend to ask. Is there a God, and what is he like? And to that, we can confidently answer, there absolutely is a God. Look to Jesus Christ to see this God. 
So when people are kind of wrestling with, is there a God and is he a good God and can I trust him and, and you know, could, I, could I possibly align my life to this God, we can say, yes, there is a God and you find him in the person of Jesus Christ. Look to him and find the creator of all. Another question that we've already addressed is why am I here? Humans have this tendency to ask that big question of, you know, why am I here? Why, why do I exist and to, to answer that question, we can look to Colossians chapter 1 and we can say, you're here because the Lord Jesus made you. He made you and he made you the way that you are. So you might look at your life and go, man, I, I don't know what I'm doing or why I'm here. And, but, but the truth is, Jesus made you and he made you intentionally. So the kind of person that you are, the kind of temperament that you have, the kind of experiences that you've been through, the kind of challenges that you face. Jesus made you. And that's a beautiful thing. That's an inspiring thing that each of us should embrace this morning. Not only did he make you, but we, we ask and answer a third question. What am I supposed to do? Why on earth am I here? What am I supposed to do with this life that I've been given? And at the end of the day, we can say, you are made to glorify him. You're made for him, for his purposes, now, we're each different and unique and beautiful ways, and so that's going to play out with a uniqueness for you and for me. We have to figure out what we're good at and what God has called us to do, but all of us should be able to say, I was made by Jesus and for Jesus. My life, then, needs to align to him and his purposes. So he is the creator of all, and he's the sustainer of all. Look at verse 17. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's, he's before all things. He is the one who is pre-existent. He is the one who was there before there was a there. So he's chronologically before. He was having a conversation one time in John chapter 8, and he was talking about Abraham, Father Abraham. You guys are descendants of Abraham. And they look at him, this group of people, they say, you're talking as if you know him. That was hundreds of years previous. And you're talking as if you have this intimate relationship with Abraham. Who do you think you are? And Jesus looked at them and he said, before Abraham even was, I am. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This summer I built out our deck a little bit, and it was a big project. I've never done anything like that before. But you, but you build the deck with these boards that are fastened to the posts. And it calls for these specific bolts that go through them. And there were four posts and three bolts in each. And so I put the bolts in and uh, built out this deck. And I'm looking at this thing. And I'm very proud of it. So I built this thing out. But then I got to a point in the project where it kind of stalled out. I didn't have the time to finish it up and put the railings on it. And so we took the, the rest of the materials and we put them on top of the deck so it wouldn't, you know, trash the yard. And so it's sitting there, and, and I'm, I'm getting anxious because I know how heavy those boards are. I lifted every one of them. And I'm thinking to myself, what if this thing collapses under the weight of the materials? And I'm talking to my wife about this, and I'm just like, I don't know if, you know, obviously, like, I'm, I'm doing this according to the specifications, but I'm nervous about that. What if these bolts don't hold this thing together? What if I've just built this thing out, and it just crumbles under the weight? And I'm just being honest about it, and I'm telling her, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I trust the 
the design. I trust the, you know, the specifications and the codes and all of that. But I'm still nervous about it. So I put extra bolts in it. And then I go online and I look at, I mean, they're little things. So they're big for what they are, but they're, they're small. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. So I go onto the website and I pull up the manufacturer of that specific bolt. And I begin to look for under what circumstances would this thing fail? How much weight would it take for, for this bolt to break? And when I found the number, I was embarrassed. It was so big, and you multiply it by 12, and then the extra ones that I put in, it was so big that you could probably drive a tank over my deck, and it'd be just fine. I wouldn't recommend it, but you could probably do that. Now, we look at life right now, and we can look at life, and we can go, man, it kind of feels like it's falling apart. It kind of, if you're looking at our world right now, it kind of feels like everything is about to give way and we're about to crash and die. I mean, you can say that when you look at social unrest or racial unrest or economic unrest or the health concerns that people have. You can look at our world right now and political stuff and you can just go, man, it feels like everything is about to just crumble under the weight of this thing. Or you could just personally do a little audit of your emotions. How are you feeling nowadays? Oh, I just feel like I'm about to fall apart. And so we can look at the world and just have this anxiety. But this text reminds us that not only did Jesus create everything, he holds it all together. He is holding all things together and he is sufficient for the task. No matter what the days ahead might look like, Jesus is the creator of his world and he is holding all things together. So Jesus has a special relationship to his creation, but then it goes on to say not only does he have a special relationship to creation, he has a special relationship to the new creation, to the church. Look at verses 18 to 20. Jesus has a relationship to his church. Verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. So yes, he made everything. Yes, he rules everything. Everything has his name written on its Uh, tag, and it all belongs to him, and it's all for him and for his glory. But then it goes on to say, not only is he ruling over his creation, he's ruling over his church. And that tells us something about the church, does it not? That if we go from the global scope of Jesus' care and concern for everything to this specific reality of the local church, we ought to be a people who love what he loves. He is the head of the body the church, and he loves the church because it's an outpost of the new creation. It is the place where we begin to see his redeeming work on display. And this week I was having, Ash and I were having dinner with a couple. We were just kind of sharing stories. And I was reminded of this beautiful part of my story where I went from doing parachurch ministry, traveling around, visiting different churches, and God just broke my heart and gave me a passion for local church work. And, and I, I don't regret that at all. I put the parachurch stuff aside and I said, if I could find a local church where I could post up and give my life and serve her and, and do everything that God has called me to do for her, that's where I want to be. That's the kind of thing that I think Jesus is reminding us of today. He is the Lord of his church. And the church is the outpost of the new creation. It's the place where we, we begin to see his work on display. And it might seem insignificant in the moment, but at the end of it, it's going to be glorious. 
You might look at a church. I mean, if you were here in our facility today with the restrictions we have in, in Region 1 of Illinois, you might look at this and go, this is very unimpressive. You've got an unimpressive dude up front. You've got an unimpressive amount of people. But the truth is the church, as minuscule as it may feel in this moment, this is where God is doing his best work. And he is at work revealing his son, Jesus Christ, and the reconciling work and the redeeming work of Christ. And, and, and it one day will burst forth and we will be absolutely stunned by it. So Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He is the one who went first. He died to establish his church, and he rose from the grave. It is through that resurrection that he gives life to his bride. He's not only ruler over creation, therefore, he's ruler over this new creation. He's showing us, he's giving us a preview of coming attractions. That by his death, burial, and resurrection, he's showing us there is a new life. As broken as the world might feel, he is redeeming the world to himself. He is the preeminent one, then it tells us so in verse 18, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. It is through what he has done for the church that we will one day bow our knee and confess his lordship, and every person in all of creation will do that. He is supreme, and he's supreme because of who he is and what he's done. Look at verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. We're being told that who Jesus is is absolutely sufficient for our needs because God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwelling in this bodily form of Jesus Christ. So we look to Jesus and we don't think, okay, he's the starting point. Then we're going to get on to something, you know, graduate from that to something more exciting. No, we believe that it is Jesus who is everything that the fullness of God dwells within him. Look at also what he's done, verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is doing an incredible work of taking this creation that's broken, that's strained, that's groaning, and now he is redeeming it. He's reconciling it to himself through his blood that was shed on the cross. So the church is the place that both experiences that reconciliation and is a champion of it. We are a people who've experienced God's love and we trust in the blood of Jesus Christ for our forgiveness and our hope. And then we make that news known. That's the good news of the gospel. But we are a church under the leadership of Jesus. He's everything. And who he is and what he has done is enough. We don't need a version 2.0. We have all that we need in him. So Jesus has a special relationship to his bride, the church. And then third and finally, he has a relationship to the individual Christian in verses 21 to 23. Christ has this kind of boots on the ground kind of reality that we can experience, that we can look at and say, oh yeah. If any of us are believers, we can look at our testimony and say, okay, Yes, it's true that he's ruling over all, all creation, and yes, it's true that he's Lord over his church, but I can also evaluate my own experience and say, look at how good he's been to me. So their testimony is given in verses 21 to 23, and it kind of follows the way that we share our testimonies. Who were we before? And then what happened to us? Who do we become? 
And then finally, who are we becoming? Who are we growing into? We find that here in verses 21 to 23. So verse 21 tells us who we were. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. This is the condition of every human being prior to their conversion to Christ. Even if they're a good person, even if they're just kind of quietly living their lives, the truth is they're in active rebellion to their maker. They were made by him and for him. And and the Bible describes it in this way, alienated from God and enemies to him. Living out these evil behaviors and desires. This is who we were before coming to faith in Christ. If you're a Christian, you can think back on that. What are some of the selfish things that you did? What are some of the things that you did openly that you revealed? You don't really care about God and his ways. But then look at how you now stand in verse 22. But now, but now he's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Christians are people who recognize I was an enemy of God, but then God reconciled me. I was hostile. I was a hostile to the things of God, but then he brought me into his family through the saving love of God in Christ, through the blood of Christ for us. He brought me in, and now I'm presented in this incredible way. I'm presented as holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Yes, I can look back on my history and I can have regrets and remorse over who I once was. But when I realize what Christ has done for me, I recognize that God presents me holy, without blemish, righteous and pure before him. Reminds me of a story, and I often use this in counseling for people who are just struggling to embrace who they are in Christ. In Zechariah chapter 3, there's a, there's a vision of Joshua the high priest, and Joshua is standing there, and he's filthy. And beside him is Satan. And Satan is standing there accusing Joshua. How dare you? Who do you think you are? Look at you. You're filthy. You have no business having a relationship with the holy God. You you are unfit for this. And he's just accusing him and just saying things of him in Zechariah chapter 3, saying of Joshua the high priest, you are who you are. Just just take an audit of your life. Look at you. You're a mess. But then it tells us the Lord speaks and the Lord rebukes Satan. The Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Is not this man a stick snatched from the flames? He rebukes Satan and he begins to say, yes, he is filthy. Yes, he's been through flames. Yeah, he's a little dusty and smoky. But then he counsels his angels, go to Joshua and put clean linens on him, put a white garment around him and a clean turban on his head. And he reminds Joshua of who he is and the status that he has, not because he's cleaned himself up, but because of what God is able to do for him. And he presents him blameless, without accusation. That's who we are as Christians. We can look at our lives and the brokenness in the wake of the poor choices that we've made. But God is able to say to you, I'm going to put the righteousness of Jesus Christ around you, and I'm going to clean you up with my ability. I'm going to tend to you, and I'm going to present you holy, blameless, without accusation, because of what Jesus Christ did for you. That's pretty good news, is it not? That God loved us enough to make us holy. Something we could not do on our own, God gifted that to us 
through our faith in Jesus Christ, and we receive then this beautiful reality as who we are. And then what should we do? Verse 23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Here's what we're supposed to do then. If you're somebody who's received the saving love of God through your faith in Christ, hang tight to that thing. Don't move from that hope held out in the gospel. That, that is graduate level stuff. It's not just Christianity 101. This is the whole deal. This is what you hang to and you are transformed by. God loved you enough to send his son and you trust in that son. That is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ for sinners like me. And we hold on to that then and we do not move from that and we build our church and our ministry around that reality. Jesus is everything for us. He's everything for creation. He's everything for his church. He's everything for me. He is everything. So I hold to that good news of the gospel, verse 23. This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the good news of the gospel that is worth everything. It's worth sharing with everyone in all of creation. It's worth becoming a servant of. It is the good news of, of Jesus Christ. And so we can say then, Jesus is sufficient. He's everything that we need. He's, he's more than we could ever need. So at our church, Jesus is everything. And I hope that you nod your head and agree with that in your heart, that Jesus is everything. Let me pray. Lord, we ask right now that you would continue by your Spirit to impress this truth upon us. And we admit that there are moments where we have amnesia, where we forget how beautiful Jesus really is. And so we're praying right now that you would continue to take this word and just make it bright lights in our minds. Just, just a placard of the glory of who he is and what he's done. For anyone who's not trusted in him as Lord and Savior, would you give them the, the nudge this morning that you are inviting them into a saving relationship. You are reconciling them to yourself. And there is no other way, there is no other name given by which we can be saved. But we have the name, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray as a church that we would never drift from this truth. Jesus is everything. So we pray in his name. Amen.